Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of The Rise Podcast. Last year, about this time in the month of June, is when The Rise Podcast started. So I figured, heck, let's start a new season where the whole thing kicked off originally. And I think that just makes sense. I am glad you're listening if you enjoy this episode or any other episodes of the Rise Podcast, I would so appreciate it if you would subscribe on iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher, Google Play, wherever it is that you're listening, and also leave a five-star review. You have no idea how helpful that is to get this podcast out there for other people to hear about Jesus and to hear about how much he loves them and how he wants to use them powerfully. Uh, You have no idea how much those five-star ratings mean. They really help the podcast to be picked up and promoted heavier by different services. I'd so appreciate if you would leave one of those as well as possibly sharing it on your social media. There's a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of things I have talked about on this podcast, but I've really been convinced and convicted recently that there's just not a lot of things that matter. And I love the title of the final episode of season two that was keep the main thing, the main thing. And I really have noticed that in my personal life, it is easy for me to stray away from the main thing and to get so bogged down and caught up in other things and really uh, impacted and impressed this Friday night. It's really early Saturday morning. Um, June 2nd, and I am just struck by this idea that God's love makes absolutely no sense. No sense. And He shouldn't love me. And I hope this isn't offensive to you, but He he really shouldn't love you either. I mean, the gospel is that we are, as humanity, inherently uh, broken that we turned ourselves away from God, that we spat in his face, ran away from him, and ultimately when he came to save us, crucified him. But he nevertheless loved us so much that he willingly died in our place to death. We should have died. And then rose again three days later declaring that even your sin that put me on the cross is forgivable if you'll just turn to me. That love makes no sense to die for those who are putting you to death. Literally, to die for them makes no sense. And that gospel, that message that probably almost all of us who are listening right now claim to believe should change everything. That's what this episode is going to be called is this changes everything. And I, I really am convinced right now more than ever that believing that message changes absolutely everything about our life, about who we are, about what we do, about what we think about it changes everything. And frankly, I'm a little bit frustrated with myself that I claim to believe that message, and I I genuinely do, but so much of my life doesn't line up with that. And, And really, I'm frustrated that there's people left and right who claim to believe that message, to know Jesus, that just their lives don't look like it. And I'm not frustrated in the sense that I'm angry with them. I'm not angry with people who claim to be Christians but don't live like it. I'm frustrated because there's more to Christianity than this shallow, powerless, life not touching, not changing religion that so many people 
in this nation, and specifically in the region that I live in, have settled for. There's more in store than we've settled for. And this gospel, this message of good news, this message of hope that God loves broken, unworthy people really should change everything. It changes how I see myself. It changes how I see other people. It changes how I see the world. The gospel means that I don't see everything as inherently hopeless and depressing. It means that if God can solve the greatest problem in all of the universe and all of time, which is that we are sinners separated from him, if he can solve that problem, I should be inherently hopeful. I shouldn't be the one at work who, when the project is going wrong, is the one who says, ah, it always goes wrong. This is just another bad day at the office. This isn't going to work out. This is going to fail just like things fail consistently. It means that when I have a conflict in a relationship, I should not be the one that says, oh, this relationship's doomed to, to go down the drain just like other ones in my past and this is never going to work and this person never really never really gets it. I, I shouldn't be marked with hopelessness. I should be inherently hopeful because if Jesus can defeat our sin, if Jesus can defeat death, hello, he was dead and laid in the grave for three days, but on the third day, he rose up and defeated death. So if he can defeat death, what situation in my life should make me hopeless? There's nothing that should make me hopeless. It changes the way I see the world. It changes the way I see me. I'm not confined to seeing myself based on how other people see me. I'm not forced to live my days and be happy when work is going well, when my relationships are going well, or when I have a relationship and then I have to be depressed on days when I'm single and I have to be sad when, when my project didn't go as good as I hoped it would or when I'm investing in this friendship relationship and that friend isn't really reciprocating back. I don't have to ride the wave of emotion to determine my happiness and I don't have to Ask someone else what they think about me to be validated. Jesus dying on the cross in my place validates me because once and for all it says you're loved, you're approved, and you are accepted. Stop looking anywhere else. It changes everything. And really what struck me the most recently that it changes is that it, it changes my mission. And my ultimate mission becomes one thing. It's one word. It's simple. It's basic. It sounds so cliche that it must be easy, but I assure you it will take all of your life and more to figure it out. And this is it. The gospel changes my mission and my mission is love. John writes about God, that God is love. If I am claiming to be a Jesus follower, a Jesus emulator, well, Jesus was love incarnate. Jesus changes my mission. He doesn't just love me. He changes my mission. Uh, I was a broken, hurt, screwed up human being who encountered God's love. And now that same God that loved me enough to die for me and save me sends me out into a broken, hurt, messed up world. And he sends me, a once broken, messed up person, into the world to a bunch of lost, broken, hurt people to claim and proclaim this true message that God is love, that he loves them. He loves them enough to die for them. It changes my mission. I'm not just out to, to win uh, favor with powerful people and, and, and really be kind to the people who can get me something back. It's not about me anymore. It's about loving people. It's about me laying down my interests. The gospel changes my ultimate interest from self-interest to other interest. I'm most interested in other people because John writes in, I believe, Second John, that we can't see God, but we can see people. So 
If we claim to love God who we can't see, we must therefore love people who we can see. I was at a kind of a wedding celebration party. One of my best friends gets married tomorrow. I was at a, a brewery hanging out with uh, some of her family and friends and different people, a couple people that I knew, but mostly people I didn't. So I got the opportunity to meet and talk to and uh, be encouraged by a bunch of awesome people out out there tonight. And when it finished, um, I just really felt like in my spirit, I don't know if that sounds weird, but maybe not even in my spirit. That almost sounds too spiritual, to be honest with you, for what I felt. But I just felt like I should go and drive Uber. I've been driving Uber for the past few weeks, and I thought to myself, well, it's Friday night. It's only 1045. I might as well drive an Uber ride real quick. So I did, and put my Uber app on, and within a minute and a half, I got a ping, and lo and behold, I'm driving four minutes to pick up this girl and uh, roll up to the place that she was staying at in this hotel, and she gets in the car and tells me that her boyfriend had just broken up with her and that her flight wasn't till the next morning, but she was from Colorado and he lives here in Charlotte, but they were breaking up. And so just a sad situation. You could tell she was kind of down about it, but um, usually when you're an Uber driver, you don't really get to talk to people. It's kind of like being a waiter. You know, you don't want to start a bunch of conversations with your table unless they want to talk to you, then you talk back. So a lot of times when I drive, I don't get to talk to people as much as I'd like to, but she wanted to talk. So we talked about stuff and Got to share with her why I didn't think the Bible was just some irrelevant book. She shared with me, I hope this isn't too graphic for you, um, but she shared with me that her first relationship uh, lasted from when she lost her virginity to a guy until uh, she was 23. And that, that started when I believe she said it was when she was 18. And so I shared with her, man, the Bible's not just some irrelevant book. Everything it says is so practical and applicable that when God says don't have sex till you're married, he doesn't say that to restrict our fun. He says that because he knows that it's a very binding soul-tying uh, experience that's meant not to happen with uh, tons of people, but it's meant to really bind you to that person. And so the reason that you wanted to stay with that guy for so long is because that sexual act is not just a physical encounter. It's a tying of souls and a tying of spirits. And that's not to proclaim condemnation to anyone listening right now, that if you've been with multiple people, there's not grace. If Jesus can defeat death, he can overcome mistakes that you've made in your sexual life. But that is to say that the design of God is not to restrict our fun, it's to bind us and tie us to one person. So as we were talking, I told her I worked at a church, uh, was going to be a pastor, all this stuff. And really, we just came to a point in our conversation where she was talking to me about how she believes in God and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, all you can do is just try to do the right thing and really think through every decision you make and make all the right decisions and do all this good stuff. And then God will love you. Um, but she came to a point where she confessed and admitted that she wasn't certain. Well, what if I make all the right decisions that I can, but I still go to hell? Like, how do I know? And I just told her, it's not about making the right decisions. None of us can make all the right decisions. We're broken, imperfect people. Me and you and her and all of us are broken. The only decision that matters is do you decide to stop trying to do this whole life on your own? Trying to earn approval, acceptance, favor, all of it. Lay it down, confess and admit you can't do it, but Jesus can and Jesus did. And as we were talking in this car ride, I just explained to her the gospel that Jesus loves her so much that he died not just for her, but as her. And that if she'd turn from her sins, turn from striving to make it in this life on her own good works and her own kindness, that he would save her. 
and that his perfection would be counted to her. I asked her if she could pay off a trillion dollar debt. She said no. And I said, well, I hate to tell you, but you owe God a trillion dollars. You can't pay it, but Jesus paid it for you. And as tears went up in her eyes, she said, why? Why would God do that for me? And I got tears in my eyes too because I forgot how gracious God was. And I don't think I've asked that question in months. But she's right. Why would God do that for us? But the answer I said to her was right from the Holy Spirit. And it was the correct answer. And here it is. It's because he loves us. Not because we deserve love. Not because anything in us would earn it from him. But he just recklessly, wholeheartedly loves us. And I told her this. I prayed for her, I hugged her, and I told her that if you ever need any proof that God loves you, look at the cross. And if you ever need a secondary proof, it's that your Uber driver, on the night that your boyfriend broke up with you, happened to be someone who was going to be a pastor, and that God loved you enough to chase you down after a breakup to remind you how beloved you were. And friends who are listening and who don't know Jesus, God loves you so much, not because you earned it, but because God is love. All he asks you to do is to turn from your sin, to turn from being your own savior, and to turn to Jesus as your savior. And to most of you listening who are Christians, that gospel changes everything. How can it be that he died for you, for me, You have to allow yourself to live in that space of awe and shock and wonder that God died for you. Because if you allow yourself to live in that space of wondering why the heck he would do it, it will motivate, move, and push you to share that message. This lady said to me twice, she said, man, I could cry right now saying it on the microphone that she said to me twice, you've got you to share this message with everybody. you got to tell everybody. That's my challenge to you and to myself. We've got to tell everybody that we have a God who is so recklessly in love with humanity that though we've done everything we can to unearn it, he said, no, I love you because I love you, and that's that. May we be faithful to proclaim this message of hope that is not hinged on anything we do. It's hinged on who God is. And since he doesn't change, this message doesn't change. And that message of hope that we as broken people can be saved by a perfect God is a message that can be declared freely to all people that if they would believe, they will be saved. And may we who have experienced that grace be faithful to declare it everywhere we go.